can be seated. Fantastic song, right? Really, really good song. And if uh, there was a song that was kind of uh, aligned with the vision of what we want this place to be, it, it, really, it really is that song. It's like, hey, come to the table. Uh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where, hey, come to the table. Sit down with the Savior. Uh, sit down with the Redeemer. And uh, really, uh, the church is what we're talking about today. And uh, my, I think my passion for the church is going to come through uh, loud and clear as, as we talk about uh, this thing that we have here, the community, the church, the bride, uh, however you want to refer to it. And I was reading, sometimes when you're looking online, you see people talk about friendship and community and all that stuff. And it's uh, such kind of flowery language that it almost doesn't seem real. And then every once in a while, you see some descriptions of friendship. It's like, ah, that's how friendship really works. That's, how, that's what it looks like. And I came across a series of quotes. They're all kind of unknown, so I don't even know who to attribute these to. But it's about friendship. That The first one says, we are best friends. And always remember that if you fall, I will pick you up right after I finish laughing. Um, and uh, that's, that's a real friendship. If you have friends who are as weird as you are, you have everything. Uh, another person said, I'd take a bullet for you. Not in the head, but like in the leg or something like that. I, I sure would take a bullet for you. Uh, real friends don't get offended when you insult them. They smile and call you something even more offensive. You don't have to be crazy to be, to be my friend. I'll train you. And uh, I like those quotes. If you have your Bibles, actually open them up or your phone or whatever. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 22 today. And one of the questions that I get asked uh, the most often in my 20-whatever years of ministry, I'm not even adding them anymore, uh, just 20-whatever. Uh, one of the questions I get asked the most often is like, hey, Jesus seems cool and Jesus seems good. Can't I just follow Jesus and like ditch the church? and not have anything to do with the church or, or relationships. And listen, I want to be really sensitive to this question because I know it comes from a place of hurt. And I know a lot of people uh, have been hurt by the church, by the big C church over the years. Me too. Right? If you've heard me tell my story up here, you know that this is part of my story too, uh, of wanting to build a place that, that is not like that, a place that uh, brings healing, not, not hurt. And so I know that in this group, uh, there's a group of people that would say, man, outside of Jesus, like one of the best things about the church is the relationships. It's the friendships. It's the community. It's the bride. It's all that stuff, the body. It's all that stuff that the Bible talks about. And that, that's one group. And then there was another group that would say, man, the most challenging, hurtful, difficult thing about Christianity and about the church is people, Right? Jesus is cool. It's the people I struggle with, right? That, 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 sort, that sort of a mind, mindset. So how do you answer that question of man? Can't Steve, can't I just like follow Jesus and just not do the whole relationship thing? And I, I would say a couple things to it. First of all, um, you wouldn't want someone to reject your spouse, Right? And, and so th this is something for us to really consider. If somebody said to you, hey, I want to have you over for dinner. Uh, I, I think we'll have a really good time. But like, we don't like your wife or we don't like your husband or whatever the case may be. So don't bring them along. I mean, you would not accept that invitation depending on what they were serving that night. But for the most part, you, you for sure would not accept that invitation because like they are disrespecting uh, your, your spouse. And you say, what does this have to do with anything? Well, the Bible says about the church, that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And so I think we have to figure out a way 
to love the bride. And listen, it's challenging. Jesus is perfect, sinless, never does anything wrong. Jesus is easy to love, right? He's perfect. The church, it's you and it's me. Look at us, right? We're messed up. Right? And so the, the church, it's just, it's harder. It's, it's more challenging. But Jesus saw the church as a beautiful thing, so much so that he gave his life up for her. And I hope by the end of the message, we'll see what a wonderful and important thing these relationships that we're called into uh, within the church family uh, are. Um, and, and the other thing I would say about following Christ, but not having anything to do with uh, relationships, is I feel like we just... You know, I don't get to say this every time we talk about this issue, but I feel like we just finished a year where we tried that, right? Because of COVID, because of the pandemic, we tried this year where we were separated from each other and we tried following Jesus. And how many of you would agree with me? It ain't ideal. It ain't ideal, right? I mean, we, we, were, we were thankful for the technology. We're thankful to, for the technology to pull it off. But I mean, even for me, it has been hard to maintain my faith. It has been hard to follow Christ without his bride being present. I remember uh, when, we were, when we were just all home and we were uh, broadcasting digitally uh, during like March to June or whatever, and man, discouragement in me was high. I don't know about you, but I was discouraged and struggling and uh, wrestling with my faith in, in real ways. And you know, it's just not ideal. And a lot of us have missed that interaction and that fellowship. We've missed the community. And here's what we don't want to do is we don't want to settle long-term in this place. And I'll tell you what the basis of this message was. The basis of this message was a study I saw that just rocked me to my core as a pastor. And, and the study said, they don't know for sure what these numbers are going to be, but they think that somewhere around 25% of Christians in America are never coming back. That they've just been like, online's cool, online's good, they've gotten used to it, habits have set in, and they think that number could be as high as 25% uh, nationally. Now, I think here in Decatur, in our church, it's going to be a whole lot less than that. But we don't want to settle into this place where our primary source of spirituality is digital. And our primary source of relationship is online. And so just as people are getting kind of vaccinated, we, we see people coming back for the first time in, in a year, every single Sunday for about the past month. As people are just coming back, we wanted to have a discussion about several topics, honestly, but this was uh, the, the one I wanted to lead the series with and just talk about the importance of what happens in community, the importance of what happens in relationship. And the, the last thing I would say about, can't I, Jesus is cool, Christians are annoying, can I do Jesus without Christian, right? That whole thing. The other thing I would say is Jesus taught us to not live that way. And, and Jesus taught us to not go that route. Here's what he said. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. And when you read Matthew 22, where this text is, there have been a series of tests given to Jesus by the religious leaders in order to trap him. And they're trying to use his answer to these questions against him so they can accuse him and arrest him and later kill him. And so the question is, what is the greatest commandment in the law? It's a trap. 
And the reason it's a trap is that there are 613 commands in the law, right? 365 do not, and 248 do, right? That, that's how the commands are, are broken down. And one of the debates uh, within the religious circles in Jesus's day was, how on earth can you ask someone to obey 613 commands, right? How can God even expect that of you and, and of me? And, and the idea of the law is that the law would point us to Jesus, that yes, we can't do it, we need a savior, but that, that we're not there in the storyline yet. And so it's like, God would not expect somebody to do this. So they used to say, there must be heavier weight to some commands and less weight to other commands. In other words, some commands must be really important to God and some commands are not as important to him at all. And so they're asking Jesus to step into the debate. And here's the trap. If Jesus names any one of the commands, it would be easy for them to say, oh, so you think that's the weightiest command, so you don't care about these other commands. So if Jesus said, yeah, the greatest command in the Torah is do not murder. Really good command, just so you know, right? Do not murder, good one to follow. And they say, so that's the command you give the most weight to. So like, you don't think adultery is a big deal, Jesus, or you don't think disobeying the Sabbath is a big deal. And it's all just, you can see how this could happen even in our culture, right? It's a gotcha question. That it, no matter what he answered, they were going to say, oh, so adultery is the greatest command. So you don't think murder is a big deal, right? You don't think the Sabbath is a big deal. And on and on it goes. So I love Jesus' answer in verse 37. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. It's the first and greatest. The second is like it. Uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And look at verse 40. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. Brilliant, right? There are no unimportant commands. Instead, every command fits into one of these two categories, love God command or love people command. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament, but just consider the 10 commandments for a minute, all right? The kind of big 10, not the, you know, not the sports league, the actual big 10 commandments, right? The first four commands of the Ten Commandments are love God commands. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, don't misuse, misuse my name. Worship me only. The next six are love your neighbor commands. Don't murder. Great way to be a neighbor. I don't care how bad their weeds get. Don't murder, right? Honor your father and mother. Kids, you know, listen, all right? Don't lie. And so here's the thing that's amazing about this is I think we all know loving God is important. Right? You're in church because you believe that, that loving God is important. As a matter of fact, it's the most important. But does it surprise you to learn that six out of the 10 commandments have to do with the way you love the people around you? That surprises me in a way. I would have thought six out of 10 would have to do with loving God and then, oh, by the way, treat your neighbor this way. But no, six out of the 10 have to do with the way you love the people around you. And you see this idea of the value of community and the value of relationship all throughout the Bible, uh, way back in the garden, in the, in the book of Genesis, God is creating uh, the heavens and the earth, and he creates the sun and the moon and the stars, and everything is good, everything's going splendidly. There's one thing that's not good. You remember what it was? It's not good for man to be alone. That boy needs a helper. He can't even dress himself, right? That guy needs a helper, right? So very early, God sees the importance of relationship and the importance of community in these beings, these human beings that he created. It's, it's interesting that as God is getting ready to send his son, Jesus, he didn't just pick an autonomous family to work with. He builds a nation, 
Through Abraham, he builds a nation, and that nation, he teaches them to love one another and help one another and serve one another. And it is through a nation of people, it is through a community that eventually his son is born. And when his son is born, he doesn't just go through life by himself. He surrounds himself with 12 friends, and and, uh, he teaches them and chastises them and helps them. And on multiple occasions, he asks them to pray for him. He lives within a community, and when he was getting ready to leave this earth to return to heaven, the right hand of God, one of the last things he did was he instituted this thing called the church. Messy, beautiful, difficult, life-giving thing that you're, you're a part of right now. He instituted this thing called the church so that he knew, because he had promised, in this world you will have trouble. Make sure to get together with a group of people. Do not go it alone. Jesus Christ didn't go through it alone. Don't you go through it alone. You join a people. You join a group. You join one another, and you go through life with them. And so Jesus invented this idea of a group of people that would gather together to worship him, and be in each other's life, be in each other's business, help each other, pray for each other, walk alongside each other, to know that you are absolutely not alone. And you know what, one of the big things, one of the big kind of problems in the American church is that church got categorized at some point as an it. Like I'm gonna go to a building and I'm gonna go to church and it's an it. But in the New Testament, the word is actually ecclesia and it means people. That you're in a room right now, but the church is us. It's the people. It's the people around you. So we're loving each other, helping each other, uh, encouraging one another to be more like Jesus every single day. And then throughout the whole rest of the New Testament, you see all these letters written to, not individuals per se, written to the church to help them be the people that God has called them to be. And there's all these one another statements. I've shared this with you before, but um, I've got the microphone, so I'm doing it again. All right, so um, one another statements of the New Testament. John 15, 12, love one another. Romans 12, 5, be members of one another. Romans 12, 10, honor one another. Think about what our world could learn from the church on that. Honor one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, 13, don't pass judgment on one another. Romans 14, 19, build up one another. Romans 15, 5, be like-minded toward one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, care for one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another in love. Galatians 5.26, don't provoke and envy one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, abound in love toward one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. Titus 3.3, don't hate one another. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another. Hebrews 10.24, stir one another on to love and good deeds. James 4.11, don't slander one another. Uh, James 5.9, don't bear grudges against one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another. And 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another. And finally, 1 John 1.7, fellowship with one another. God really cares about this issue. And I think he cares about it for two big reasons. And one is that he sees this as a blessing to you. Half of that list, half the equation of that list I read is when I, I say, when, when, when the New Testament writer says, man, accept one another, half of the equation is that you would feel accepted. 
When he says love one another, half of it is that you would feel loved. When he says encourage one another, half of it is that you would be encouraged. So that as you join your people, as you join your church, that half of it is that you would be blessed and you would, uh, you would be blessed by this, this one another. Uh, the relationships in the church family are meant to be a blessing to you. I know, it does, I know it doesn't always work that way, but they're designed to be a blessing to you, to encourage you, to help you, to hold you accountable as you go through life. And listen, I know a couple things. One is life can be hard and you need some people. Life can be hard and you need some people to go through it with. And I remember when we were, this, this was a hard moment. It was actually a kind of celebratory moment, but we had been going through waiting for uh, our second adoption for, well, it became years that, that we waited. And uh, finally, one day we got the call that Lila had been born. And uh, I was out putting up Christmas decorations in the front yard and Sam was inside. He'd been helping and got kind of tired of it and went inside. And uh, he comes out with the cell phone. And he says, it's mommy. She says she really needs to talk to you. And uh, so I took the phone and it, the adoption agency had called her at work and uh, our daughter had been born and there was a little bit of legal work that needed to be done. So we didn't get to bring her home right away. Uh, and finally, about 10 days before Christmas, we were gonna get to bring her home. And uh, we had an elder staff Christmas party the night before. And it was one of the weirdest parties I've ever been to. Just our mind uh, was in another place. We were celebrating Christmas, but we were also really excited about bringing her home because it had kind of been an ordeal to, to make that happen. And I remember we were getting ready to go home. We were going to go home a little bit early. And one of them said, Steve, we just want to pray for you guys before you leave. And uh, they, we stopped the party and uh, our elders and staff gathered around us and uh, they prayed for us. And we want this to be that kind of church where you can come in here broken, hurting, broken down, and just know people are praying for you. Know they're praying for you. Know they love you. Know that the people, these are your people. And they want to serve you, and they want to love you, and they want to help you. Sometimes you just need to know you're not alone. Uh, that, that you're not alone. And that's the other thing I know is that life can be hard and journeying, our mission statement is to be a journey, a church journeying together, be more like Jesus. How many of you know being more like Jesus is not easy? Right? And I found when I was disconnected from the church family, when we were all home, right? We were all home for a while. When I was disconnected from the church family, I don't know about you, I became less like Jesus. I found myself getting really frustrated with the people around me and my faith took a major toll and uh, I, I just got more grumpy and grouchy and there is something about this community that helps us to encourage one another to be more like Jesus. And sometimes it's just an example. You see someone hold a door or say a kind word or whatever and like, man, that person's being like Jesus and I wanna, I wanna imitate them. Sometimes it's a simple word from the stage or uh, in, in a personal conversation. Someone says something and you're like, man, that sounds like Jesus. I wanna be more like that. But listen, we're not a perfect family family. We're not here. We're not. If, if we ever became a perfect family, I'd have to resign because I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't be the pastor because I'm imperfect, right? We're not a perfect family, but we're striving to be this kind of church. Several years ago, uh, Scott Monette, our youth minister, preached on this subject, and he pulled this illustration of penguins uh, that embedded into my heart and mind ever since he shared it. And it became such an illustration for me of what I want, what I want, what I want our church to be. And it was from the March of the Penguins. Have you guys seen this movie? Um, it, it talked about the penguins as they're kind of working their way through the tundra, that they know, the penguins know they have to go through it as a group. That if one of them becomes uh, separated from the group alone, they will die. 
they just don't have a chance to make it through the tundra alone. And, and so they know they have to be in a group. And so what they'll do in the tundra is they'll gather in a circle and they'll keep each other warm in the circle. And what happens is those that have been on the outside that are the coldest, they'll come into the center where they'll get warm and they'll get stronger and they'll eat and they'll, they'll just become stronger and stronger. And then just intuitively, they'll start to make their way to the back and then somebody else will come into the center so they can get warm. This is the kind of church we wanna be. Are you broken? Are you hurting? Are you weak? Come into the center. Let us care for you. Let us love you. Let us pray for you. But don't stay there the rest of your life. Get stronger, get more faith-filled, become uh, better, and then slowly work your way to the outside so you can say to someone else, hey, are you weak? Are you struggling? Are you in pain? Now let me help keep you warm. And that's the kind of church we want to be, a church that just loves and cares for one another. So relationships are meant to be a blessing to you. But how many of you know, the other reason God cares about this, relationships are meant to be part of your responsibility. A lot of people in the American church, I'm sorry to say it, a lot of people in the American church, they just want to receive. They don't want to give. But part of this is that these relationships in this church family, they'd be a blessing to you. And my prayer is that they are a blessing to you. But the second part of it is that this is part of your responsibility. So that list I read, encourage one another. Half of it is that you would be encouraged. The other half of it is that you would be an encouragement to someone else. Half of it is that you would be loved and you would feel loved. I pray every Sunday that you do. But the other half of it is that you would show love to someone else. Uh, half of it uh, is, is that you would thrive in, in, in the church community. The other half of it is that you would help other people thrive in the church community, that you're not called to just consume. You're called uh, to give. You're, you're called to make a contribution. And this is what every, every healthy family is like. It's a place of blessing and a place of responsibility. Like I said, I fear that a lot of people in the Big C Church they want the blessing. They don't want the responsibility. And it doesn't work well when it, when it goes that way. Um, we we want to be receivers and we want to be givers. So what we've seen in our scripture today is that God cares deeply about this issue of togetherness and church and being the church we were, he created us to be. He cares about our relationships with each other. And can I tell you something? 2020, 2021, this has been a year where this has been very challenging to do care for one another. <laughs> it's just been challenging that, that as part of this pandemic, we even adopted these phrases like, oh, we have to socially distance from one another, right? The Bible's talking about one another and we're talking about, oh, stay away, right? Stay, stay away. We have to socially distance. We, we spent chunks of time where we weren't able to even gather together, where we were, we were worshiping online. At the core of the pandemic is this lesson of just stay away, stay away, stay away. And listen, I, I don't want you to mishear my heart on this. It's been necessary for a time. I really believe that. You might disagree with that, and that really is okay. I'm not looking to have any kind of argument about that. I think it was necessary for, the, for, for a time, but here's, I'm gonna tell you my fear. I'm fearful that we have established some habits as a country that are not going to serve us while well going to the future. That socially distant for a time is going to become socially distant as a way of life. That's my fear. 
And we were not designed to live this way. We, we weren't. So socially distant for a time will become socially distant forever. And social media presence is going to replace community. And digital presence is going to replace actual presence. So let me talk to you for a minute about like just social media, digital stuff, what it, what it can do and why it's less than. Uh, the average person right now is spending somewhere between three and six hours on social media per day. All right, per, per day. So somewhere between three and six hours is, this is the main way that we are consuming relationship right now. And like I said, maybe for a time it, it was necessary, but my concern as we're moving forward, my concern is that what was necessary is going to become permanent. So it's three to six hours. And let me tell you what's dangerous about having this as your primary, uh, your primary experience in, in relationship is first of all, uh, when you do relationship digitally, it creates unrealistic expectations. So you might see someone post about their spouse on social media and you start to resent your spouse. So they, they, they present some glowing thing about your kids and then you start to think, what is wrong with my kids? Like my, my kids have never done that or would never do that. Or you, they post a picture of their house and how clean it is and you're looking around at yours going, what, what is wrong with us? And it creates these unrealistic expectations about life. Now, let me give you a little spoiler alert in terms of social media. Every single person on social media is posting about their best day. They're posting about their kid's best day, their spouse's best day. No one's taking a picture of their filthy, nasty house and putting it on Facebook. Nobody's doing that. Hey, look, I didn't do a thing today, right? Nobody's doing this. We're all posting about our best day. So here's what happens when we consume this to an uncomfortable level. What happens is that we start to see day after day where they're having their best day and we are comparing their best day to what we know about ourselves as our worst day and we're comparing the two and it's not fair to you. It's not fair to you. To compare their best day with your worst day is not fair. But here's the deal with social media. They're never going to post their worst day. So you're never going to get to share your worst day and their worst day. You're never going to know what their worst day is. And it's just, it's a downside of social media. So all you're seeing is just everybody's best. Best vacation, best life now, right? Best vacation, best kids, best spouse. And I have caught myself doing it. There's our pictures that we have posted of Sam and Lila, great big grins, and five minutes before, they were throwing the fit of a lifetime. I'm not posting that pic. It's terrible. I'm not posting that pic. So we get them together, we take a picture, and then people are seeing that. Man, the Hicks family is just so happy all the time. Well, we struggle just like everybody else does. Our kids throw fits. Some of you have seen a few of them in the hallway, right? They, they, they throw fits too. And so this is just a dangerous part of social media is you're seeing everyone's best day and you're comparing it to your worst day and it's unfair to you. So stop doing it. Social media can create pride. We can develop this online identity that just seeks to get likes and shares. We can develop an online persona that everyone thinks they're, they're seeing the real us, but really they're just seeing what we want to portray and it can create a pride in us. It can develop this attitude of being served rather than serving. 
that social media can uh, create this presence where you exist to like what I've written or you exist to like my pictures or you exist to share my kind, whatever the case may be. And often we start to view people as, man, they exist to kind of advance my message or they exist to advance my persona or, or to like what I've said or, or done. So listen, online presence for, for us at Northwest Christian Church last year it's been a gift and a blessing. Honestly, I'm not sure, in the heavy days of the pandemic, I'm not sure how we would have gotten through it without technology, honestly. But we, we don't wanna settle there. We don't wanna have it become a replacement or the norm for how we interact. We were created to be family. We were created to be family. We were created to be that pack of penguins in a circle. Say, those that are hurting, those in pain, those suffering, you get in the center. Let us love you, pray for you, help you, support you. And then as you get strong, you move to the outside and let somebody else in there. That is what the church is meant to be. And it is just hard to do it online. It just is. So it was necessary for a time, but let's not settle there and let's not have it become permanent. So a couple quick suggestions as we get ready to close is, would you join me in trying to limit online time? I think maybe we need to take our ball and go home a little bit, not totally disregard it altogether because it, it does have a place, it does have a presence. It's just not meant to be the primary way we interact as a culture. So let's start to limit some of our time online and then let's take a couple steps to engage. And this is where it's gonna be for every person, an individual decision about what you feel is safe for you, what you feel is appropriate for you, kind of where you're at right now. For some people, it might look like, man, I'm gonna to go to lunch with someone for the first time in a while, and I'm gonna look at someone and have an actual conversation. Maybe for you, uh, that, that you're, that's a little bit out there for you, and you're like, well, I'm gonna make a phone call to someone, and just sending email and instant messages or, or texts, I'm gonna actually talk to someone on the phone and hear their voice and engage them in that way. Maybe it's a FaceTime chat, Maybe for you, it's, um, those of you online, maybe it's developing a return to church plan that you just really haven't thought about it. Like, what are, what, under what circumstances will I return? And maybe for you, it's just, I'm gonna start to think about returning to the body. I'm gonna start thinking about returning to church and re-engaging that way. Whatever it is, let's just, let's not settle. There have been some things that have been necessary in the last year. But when I start to hear statistics like nationally, 25% are never coming back. It, it bothers me and it scares me a little bit because we were created for more. We were created to be a family. We were created for community and God wants more for us and God wants us to give more than that. So right in those two ways, God wants us to be blessed, but also if you just stay home permanently, you're not being the blessing to others that he's created you to be. So he wants you to be blessed and he wants you to be a blessing and that's what real family looks like. Let's receive communion together. He died, a lot of times we, we talk about communion, uh, about that he died for us individually and, and he did, but a lot of the biblical termino terminology about Jesus' death has to do with us, that he died for the church. Um, and so we wanna remember that this morning uh, and, and remember that he died for me and he died for you, and he died for us. And, and so it changes the way we treat each other, it changes the way we interact with each other. So let me pray, and then I'm gonna leave a little bit of time of silence for you to pray, and then we'll receive communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for this messy 
thing called the church. I know a lot of us in this room have been hurt by it and carry those wounds. But I just pray that we would feel inspired this morning to not just totally withdraw, but to re-engage and help make it better, to help be part of the solution, to, to be not just blessed, but to be that blessing to others. Um, be with your church, Lord. Help us to be the people you create us to be. All these prayers and requests we want to lift up to you. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. His body given for us. For us. His blood poured out for us. My prayer for us as we leave this place is that we would be, we would be a penguin, right? That we would be like a penguin and, and we would love people in that way. And it's not really not being like a penguin, it's, it's really being like Jesus who loved and cared for the people around him in a very profound way. And he loves not just me, he loves us. So it gives me a responsibility to love you the way I've been loved. So God bless you guys. Have a great week. We're gonna to con, uh, continue this series uh, next Sunday and just keep talking about um, the life that God has called us to. So have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.